Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible handy, why don't you grab it with me and uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah chapter 64 on our time in His Word. Lord, thank You so much. And we pray Your blessing on Franklin and Skip over in Hong Kong. And Lord, just the great uh, women's breakfast this morning and Crystal being here and Chip, it's just like being at home. And I just thank You for the warm reception and fellowship. And now as we open Your Word, may You minister to us, Lord of the true wonder and beauty of this season and all that it means to you that you would give your only begotten son for the likes of us. May we be truly grateful and thankful and celebrate it this Christmas like never before, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen? God is on the move in Albuquerque. Amen? It's just great to be here. And um, he's always on the move, Uh, always, always moving. And we came in last night and uh, just came straight to the church, wanted to be here and kind of walk around and pray and just lift up the weekend of the Lord. And you can just sense that uh, he is moving and it's exciting to be a part of it. But uh, we're always constantly moving. And uh, it's great that we have a God that moves with us and in us and through us. And even while you're sitting here still uh, in the sanctuary, kind of now enjoying the worship and now settling in for a good time of Bible study, you're still moving. Your eyes are moving all over the room and then blinking and your heart's beating and your lungs are breathing and your brain is going to be thinking and your blood is going to be pumping. And, 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 and the question is, are we moving closer to who the Lord desires for us to be or are we moving more in the direction of being in control of our destiny and where we're headed and what's going on and There's this incredible thing about Christmas that that He, God, has chosen to move closer to us. That is the beauty that we celebrate, that God moved here because of Christmas, because of our need for a Savior. And He came in a real and a tangible way. And in doing so, He provides, well, He provides a down-to-earth look at what love really is. And I love what it says, you know, in the New Testament about his arrival and about the birth and about... But to go to the Old Testament and even this evening to find kind of an obscure text that speaks to us of Christmas. Well, I just wanted to point it out to you tonight. Look at verse 1 here in Isaiah chapter 64, would you? Isaiah 64 verse 1 says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens. In other words, that you would pull back, tear open the curtains of heaven, and that you would come down, Isaiah says. And it's future tense there. He's saying that you would come, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence as fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When when you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down. I want you to notice the tense changes. He starts the chapter by saying, oh, that you would come. Oh, it'd be great if you'd come. Would you come down? Would you open up the door of heaven? Would you rend the heavens? Would you come down? And and then he begins to talk here in verse 3 about the very fact that he has already come. You came down, he says, past tense, and the mountains shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear. 
nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the ones who wait for Him. You meet Him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry for we have sinned. In these ways we continue and we need, what? To be saved. That's Christmas. That He would come down. And Isaiah speaks of it here. Oh, that, that you would come because, oh, do we need you to come because we need to be saved. We are like an unclean thing. And all our righteousness, all of our righteousnesses are like filthy racks. All that you would come down. He, he, he sort of looks to the future, he does, this, this wonderful prophet Isaiah and, and, and says, I am hoping that once again you would run the heavens, that you would come. And, and he likens it to the very fact that he has already come down. He looks back at a previous time and reminds us tonight, his readers, that he has already come. A time when he came, a time when the mountains shook, a time when there was fire in his presence, a time when the nations trembled. You say, yeah, Bob, um, kind of new to the whole thing. Are you saying there was a Another time when Jesus Christ actually came down to earth? Actually, I think that Isaiah probably has a number of times in mind. Certainly at least one of those examples would be in Exodus chapter 3, where Moses meets the Lord there in the bush that burned but was not consumed. A theophany, a picture of Jesus Christ coming down, showing up in Old Testament terms to, to Well, to help prepare and set the stage for now what we enjoy, His coming down again as a baby born in a manger. Oh, I'm sure Isaiah had other times in mind as well. Probably there in Exodus chapter 19, where God comes down and dwells in the presence on top of Mount Sinai. and No one can go near the mountain. No one can touch the mountain. In fact, it says you touch it, you die. And here Moses is invited up into the presence of the Lord, to spend time there on the mountain. I'm sure that he probably had the time that Joshua crosses over the Jordan River into the Promised Land, only to be met by this, the commanding chief of the Lord's army. Joshua says, you force you against us. You with us? And the Lord says, no, you're standing on holy ground, pal. First came down in those variations, the Lord first came down in perfect perfection. He came down as the law. He came down to show the world how to live. He came in perfect perfection. In fact, he even wrote it down and gave it to Moses and said, now here are the tablets and you follow these and you'll do well and I'll lead you through a pillar of fire by day and, or, or by night and, and a cloud by day and I'll get you over to the other side. He came down in this picture of perfect perfection. And now the second time that he comes, Well, the second time that he comes is quite different than those first times that he came down. The first time he came down, so clear in Psalm 19 for us, that David would write and say that he came down and and, and the law that was delivered from the heart of the Lord was perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Isaiah certainly looks back here in chapter 64 
looks back to the very fact that he has come down and came as perfect law. That's not the only time because Isaiah then turns and looks to the future. He turns and he looks ahead to another coming down of the Lord. And coming down quite different than the first time, not in perfect law, but now in perfect what? comes in perfect love. This picture of a baby now born in a manger. He comes the first time in perfect law, in perfect perfection, and now in perfect peace. What a peaceful setting and scene it was there outside of Bethlehem at the manger. He came the second time in a picture of perfect love. In fact, Isaiah was the one that told us it would happen that way. Remember in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, he is the one that prophesied that a virgin would conceive and bear forth a son, and his name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. He looks back at a time when he has come. And when he came that first time, it was to point out our problem. And when he comes a second time, it was to provide for that problem a solution. Isn't that great? That's what we celebrate this Christmas. He just didn't leave us in that state of not being able to achieve his level of perfection, but now comes again, bearing in his arrival a picture of perfect love, a picture of of the priesthood of the Lord in coming to provide for us the sacrifice that was necessary. And and Isaiah tells us, he tells us about that too. He says, hey, in, in Isaiah 9 verse 6, he says, for unto us a child is born. He's looking back at the, at the, at the times where the Lord has come, where he's come down. And now he's looking ahead to a down-to-earth picture of love. For unto us a child is born, a son is given a picture of perfect peace. That because he came down again, you could be at peace with God tonight. What a promise, gang. What a thrill. What What a wonderful thing we celebrate this Christmas season. So the first time he comes down is in perfect perfection. The second time is in perfect peace. The first time as law, the second time as love, you say, could there be a third? Oh, yes, for he's coming again. Coming again, and if he comes the first time in law, and he comes now as this baby that we celebrate at Christmas in love, the third time he comes as Lord of all. The first time he comes in this picture of perfection. The second time on Christmas, he comes in this picture of peace. The third time as we wait for the revival of his coming again, he comes in all power. In all power. He comes in all glory. And gang, that's what we celebrate as well on Christmas. Not the fact that he came. You see, we need to learn something from Isaiah. He both, yeah, looked back at the very fact that this God had come, but that he was coming again. And we do the same today if we are smart. To be able to look back and to be able to provide for us the salvation that we desperately need. But to realize as well that we celebrate the fact that he's coming again. He says, I won't leave you orphans. I'm coming again in all power, in all majesty, in all glory. In fact, we get a wonderful picture of this third coming of Christ This third arrival of his coming, we get a beautiful picture of that in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 19, John has this vision of what Jesus really looks like. He looks a lot different than the way we kind of have him set up to look on our coffee table there, the nativity scene like Isaiah. We can look back at the very fact that he has come, but he's coming again. And John says he looks like this. He looks like a savior 
from which his eyes cast forth flames of fire. He looks as a Savior from which this sword, double-edged sword, comes out of his mouth. He is this picture of a Savior who has the stars of heaven in his hands. John is seeing this picture, writing it down, just so that we would all know that we don't simply celebrate a baby being born back there in Bethlehem. He's coming again and coming with eyes, flaming a fire and a sword out of his mouth and stars in his hand and crowns on his head. We ought to have a nativity scene like that, don't you think? Wouldn't that kind of freak out your neighbors? They come over and it's like, what is that going on? That's Jesus. That's our Jesus. And he's coming again. He's coming in all glory. He's coming in all power. This is, look at a down-to-earth look at the law was his first arrival. Mount Sinai. A down-to-earth look at love. That's Mount Calvary. Where he being born in that manger outside of Bethlehem would be born with the purpose of then dying on the cross for our sins. The greatest picture of love. It's what we celebrate this Christmas. For greater love has no man than this that he lay his life down for his friends. That's why he came. It was a perfect picture of love. But he is coming again. Not back to Mount Calvary. Not back to Mount Sinai. We're told he's coming to the Mount of Olives. And when his foot touches down with this Son of God, with the sword in his mouth, with the stars in his hand, when he touches down, according to Zechariah chapter 14, he says this, Behold. Now there's a Christmas word for you. Behold. The day of the Lord is coming. And his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. And when they touch down, that mount will split in two. Maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, gee, I don't, I don't, I don't know about all this. I, I just thought he came once and we're celebrating his arrival and Christmas. Happy birthday, Jesus, and everything. You're saying, he's coming again. And I, I, I just don't know if I can believe all of that. And so many questions. You know, a lot of questions seem to sort of rise to the surface around this holiday season. Skip certainly is addressing them in his Christmas series. Questions about all of this, the arrival of Christ. Is he coming again? What can I really trust? Well, I'm simply here to remind you this weekend, you can trust in the word of God. And if he came the first time, according to scripture, and said that he would be returning for a second time, born this baby in a manger, can't you count on the very fact that if two have come true, then the third will as well? See, if you miss the first one, and then you miss the second one, chances are, Well, you're in a spot, unfortunately, of missing the third one, and you don't want to miss that. Well, I don't know. I just have so many questions. I'm not sure what I can trust in. You know, what we read here in Scripture is what was written down by God. It hasn't changed. Here's why you can trust the Bible. Because it hasn't been altered. Because there haven't been revisions as it's worked its way through the history of time. That what was written is what we read tonight. And you can take it to the bank. You can trust your life on building it upon the foundation of God's word, my friends. It comes with it the test of time. It comes with it the historical accuracy. There has never been a shovel put into the ground that has been pulled out in disproof of what the Bible says to be true. 
40 authors over 1,500 years. But really, when it's all said and done, you got one author here that is speaking through 40 different writers about one topic, Jesus Christ. Don't mean to stretch it, but Christianity is about one person our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who was the same yesterday, today, and forever, who came and came again and is coming back. And we need to be ready. This is a season to celebrate not simply what has happened, but to look forward at what is about to take place. The Bible brings to it an historical accuracy. Thirdly, here's the reason why you can trust the Scriptures. Because it rings true in our lives. Because it it reads us. You've probably heard it said, there's a lot of books you can read. There's only one book that reads you. The historical accuracy and truth of the scriptures is what we agree together must be trusted today. It doesn't change. Everything else does. But God's word remains the same. Oh, you know what changes? We change when we read it. The Bible, here's why you trust it, changes us. It changes our lives for the better, it does. But here's the most important reason why you should trust the Scriptures this Christmas season. You know why? Because Jesus Christ trusted them. Jesus Christ trusted the Scriptures. He didn't come to abandon the law, but to what? Fulfill it. He was trusting in the Scriptures. Anybody comes to you in kind of cops and attitude as to whether or not Jonah really took place and he was in the belly of the whale? Jesus Christ taught on that passage, believing and trusting in the scriptures. And we ought to together agree that it would be good for us to put our trust in what Jesus trusts. And what he trusts is this. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out on all that there certainly is for us to celebrate this Christmas season. Don't want to miss out by ending up putting our trust in the wrong things. And a lot of people do that. And in doing so, miss out on what it is that we're really out to celebrate this season. What the reason of the season is. We, as a culture of Americans, listen, we are are the, the richest in the world, the most affluent in the world, and yet the most depressed. We spend more on garbage bags than a hundred nations spend annually for everything. Each year more Americans declare bankruptcy than graduate from college. Our nation has twice as many malls as it does high schools. We work more hours each year than any other nation. Spend more on shoes, more on jewelry, more on watches then we spend in total on higher education. Our, our supermarkets, is this wild what has happened? Have 250% more items in them than they did 10 years ago. Parents spend six hours shopping each week, but only 40 minutes talking to their kids. Only 20% of us go to the mall having any product in mind that we need to buy. Well, that's going to ring true over the next couple of weeks. We spend more on porn each year than on country music, rock music, jazz music, classical music, Broadway plays, and ballets combined. 
Between 1970 and 1999, the divorce rate tripled in our nation. Teen suicide tripled, and depression has soared. Does that tell you that people are putting their trust in the wrong things? And this season is to bring us back to what matters most. A down-to-earth look at love. A Savior that was born to take away our pain, to take away our sin. Fill us with hope. Give us a reason for living. You know, as the shopping season kicks off, and it did four o'clock in the morning after Thanksgiving. Can you believe this? The biggest challenge for us is trying to figure out what our friends need, what our family members need. What do we need? Anything that we really need? Do we need more socks? Do we need more sweaters? Do we need more slippers? Do we need iPods and iPhones? I don't think so. What do people need for Christmas? You know what people need? Answers. And they're looking for answers in all of the wrong places if they aren't looking to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who came in the perfect picture of perfection realizing there isn't any way they're going to get to know me for they will never be able to keep this law. And so I'll come again in the perfect picture of love and I will save them from their sins. Develop the opportunity for them to have a personal relationship with me. And then he comes again in all of his lordship, in all of his glory, in all of his power for those who have put their trust and hope in him and him alone. People this Christmas, like no other Christmas, need answers. We recently did a marriage series at Horizon. We we did a, a, a website kind of in the style of what Skip does here quite often. We called it www.iwantabettermarriage.com. And we just sent it out all over San Diego. Nothing about the church. Just put it in magazines and on billboards and did mailers that said, I want a better marriage.com. People logged onto it like never before. I mean, through the roof. Because people need answers where their marriages are concerned. We just did a parenting series. Parents need answers to where their questions are concerned. We just recently did a prophecy update. I mean, through the root with the questions that the people have in terms of what is happening and even took place this last week in Annapolis, Maryland. They want their questions answered. They want to know who to vote for. They're looking to the church to provide some type of leadership and example, even when it comes down to who we're to vote for in this election. I don't know. I'm ready to start a vote for Jesus campaign. And maybe if he wins, then he'll come back. How glorious would that be? And I think all of the questions that the world is asking are answered the picture of Christmas. The answers are delivered as this baby for our sins is delivered into this world. So what are the questions? Here are the questions. Here's a question for you. Question number one, is he real? Is he real? Is he live? That's answered in Christmas. Yes, he's real. He took on human flesh. He emptied himself of the glory of who he was and and became a, a man. Why? So that we'd know he's real. So that we would know that he is alive. Christmas answers the biggest questions of all. He came to be born here so that we'd know he's real. The angels declare, behold, A virgin will conceive and bear a son. His name will be Emmanuel. To Mary, that angel says, Behold, 
There's that Christmas word again. I bring you good tidings of great joy. That angel comes and calms Joseph down and says, Behold, this is meant to take place. Allow this to be, Joseph. That, 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 that same word shows up again in the, in the words of Simeon when he says, Behold, this child is destined for the rise and fall of many. John the Baptist would use that same Christmas word. He would say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that word behold is simply meant to show us that he's real. Behold Him this Christmas. Behold Him in your heart. Behold Him in your home. Behold Him in your marriage. Behold Him this Christmas. He is real. He is alive. The only question is, is He alive in you? Is He born in you? This word behold literally is the word I do. I do. It's an interesting Greek word. It, 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 Literally is translated, I do, behold. Now, now we know I do more in the wedding sense, and this would be quite an aisle to walk down if you were getting married. It's like you're celebrating your first anniversary by the time you get up here. It's just like, <laughs> but when you finally do get up here and you say those words, what? I do. Everything changes in your life. From that moment on, when Bonnie and I got married, my wife Bonnie, she is at home for our women's Christmas tea this weekend. Sends her love. Mike McIntosh married us in 1988. I'm telling you, when we walked down that aisle and together gave those vows before our pastor and the Lord, everything about us changed. I'd been dating her for five years. I thought I knew everything about her. I learned more. Guys, clue in. I learned more about my wife in the six months after we got married than I ever knew about her in the five years that we dated. Now, how can that be the case? Here's how. Because the words I do change the level of commitment. And that's what it means to behold. To see Him for who He really is. Not to date Him. Not to casually get together, but to commit. To say, I do love you above all other loves. And I will. Commit my life to you. That is to behold. That is to realize that He is alive and real and wants that relationship with you. Well, if I could see Him, then I would believe it. No, if you believe it, you will see it to be real and alive and true in your life. And that word, I do, in the sense of behold, is meant to change everything in the same way that the words, I do, change everything in a wedding. Revelation 1.18 says this, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I do, behold, am alive forevermore. That answers a pretty big question. Question number two. Well, if he's alive, Bob, if he's real, then, well, here's what they ask. You know what it is? Does he keep his promise? And there are 300, over 300 promises here in his word, simply wrapped into the promise of his arrival there in Bethlehem. You know, just a few might have done the trick, but 300 of them that screamed to us this holiday season, saying, yes, I am a God who is real and alive, and I keep my word, I keep my promise. I love that about the Christmas story. Not just the accounts of the eyewitnesses that were there, the shepherds, the wise men that came. Those who wrote down the story for us. 
we love so much. But, but to dig into the Old Testament, to find passages here, you know, like Isaiah chapter 64. In fact, turn back there with me, Isaiah 64. Look at into 63. 63 here, beginning in verse 15, he says this. He says, look down from heaven and see from your habitation, holy and glorious. Where is your zeal and your strength and yearning of your heart and your mercies towards me? Are they restrained? Doubtless, you are God and Father. Abraham was ignorant of us, and Israel didn't acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer, from everlasting is your name. O Lord, why have you made us stray from your ways? Harden our heart from you. Return for your servant's sake. The tribes of your inheritance, your people, possessed it. For a little while, and adversaries have trodden down your sanctuary. We have become like those of old, of whom you never ruled. We become like that? Have we become like that tonight? Has Christmas lost its spark for you? Its meaning? Its beholdedness? Become like those of old. You never ruled. Those who were never called by your name. Oh, that's what he says. And he says, oh, that you would come. That you would come again. And he does. Why? Because he is a God who keeps his promises. That you would be faithful to come. And he has come to save us from our sins. I got three kids. Mitchell's our oldest, two boys and a girl, Mitchell, Annie, and Matthew. They grew up fast. I mean, everybody says that, right? And then it happens to you. They're like born, and the next day they're teenagers. You blink, and it's so quick. In fact, so quick for us that not too long ago, and Mitch is 16, Annie's 14, Matthew, our youngest, is 10, they kind of came to us and said, Mom, Dad, would it be okay if we repainted our rooms? Why? Well, it's still the nursery colors. Oh, oh, you know, like, we're those parents that aren't wanting them to grow up and just kind of stay little. And yeah, could we kind of get rid of the baby blue, Dad? So I met this painter. His name was Dave Lucia and hired him and said, Dave, would you just come and paint the kids' rooms? They're kind of bummed that it's still the nursery colors and everything. And he came over and did it, just did a wonderful job, and called me and said, hey, Bob, the work's done. Can I pick up a check? And I said, well, I, yeah, I'm here at the church. I'm working. I'm in a meeting right now. I can drop it in the mail for you. You know, painters don't like that. <laughs> or you can swing by the church if you want. You know where the church is? And you see, yeah, I think I know where Horizon is. I'll swing by. And I said, well, just let me know when you get here, and I'll come out and get you that check, and you'll be on your way. And sure enough, one of my assistants came in and said, Bob, there's a guy out here said he needs some money from you. He's your painter. Oh, that's right. Dave, Dave Lucia. Just tell him to wait in my office and I'll wrap up this meeting and I'll be right in and get him that check. Well, I lost track of the time. And I got into that meeting. It was probably 20 minutes, conservatively, maybe 25, maybe 30 minutes. And they came back in and said, Pastor Bob, uh, Dave, Dave Lucia, the painter. Oh, the painter, that's right. And I ran over to my office, and there he was, sitting in my office, and the Bible was open on my coffee table there, and I could tell he'd kind of been looking around through the bookshelves and stuff. And I came in, I was very apologetic. I said, oh, Dave, I'm so sorry, I got wrapped up into that meeting. Let me give you that check. And as I'm filling out the check for him, painting our kids' rooms, it's like the Lord kind of knocked on my heart and said, listen, pastor, this isn't about a painter getting paid. It's about a painter getting saved. And I turned to him and said, Dave, have you ever been inside of a church like this before? First time. First time. Have you ever, you know, kind of like, I don't know, I just noticed the Bible was open there and stuff, like read the Bible or heard the real story of Christmas, you know, that God sent his son to die on a cross for your sins, that he wants to have a personal relationship with you? 
First time. First time. David, have you ever accepted Jesus Christ into your life, into your heart, to be your Lord and Savior? He said, no, but I think that's why I'm here right now. And Bonnie, my wife, came in and the three of us got down on our knees in front of my couch in the office. And Dave, Dave Lucia, the painter, became Dave Lucia, the follower of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. It's the type of promises we're talking about. Promises of a God that loves us so much that the only reason that he would not come back this evening with eyes full of fire and sword out of his mouth is because there might be a few here or throughout this Christmas season that he is just begging and hoping and holding out to surrender their life to his lordship. Question number three, does he involve himself in our lives? Does he still involve himself in the world? Well, yes, he does. Or is he just kind of some deist God that is out there? Out there, up there, but not involved in my life. But he doesn't really care about the painter's life. Oh, he does. He cares about all of the affairs of our life and wants us truly this Christmas to be celebrating him in our lives like never before. He has stepped into history, not once, multiple times. First as law, second as love, thirdly coming back as Lord of all to establish his kingdom. Yes, he wants to be involved. Never has he not chosen to involve himself in the world. I graduated high school in 1980. Anybody remember 80? It was a bad year. And the economy was down and Russia was strong. And the only redeeming value of 1980 was our hockey boys. And it was on a Sunday that we kind of all raced home together and got in front of that television tube, wondering if there was any remote possibility that these young guys could beat those mean Russians. And mom kind of kept coming in, you know, wanting to give us drinks or sandwiches. And we're just like glued to the TV. Didn't miss a single moment of that game. And sure enough, our boys won. Came home from Placid with the gold medal in hockey. It was awesome. So awesome. Do you remember what they did the next week? They rebroadcast the same game the same time the following Sunday. So guess what we did, you know, being Canadians and all? We race home from church again, turn it back on, and watch it. But not quite as intently as we watched it the week before. Why? And mom's coming in saying, you want sandwiches? Sure, bring some sandwiches in. We're just kicking it here, watching our boys win the gold medal. No worries, no stress, nothing on the edge of our seat taking place. Just enjoying it all. Why? Because we already knew the outcome. Which is exactly how we should be living tonight. He's told us who wins this game. Jesus wins. He's coming back for us. And here, the thought that he wasn't... One who wants to involve himself in our life. Oh, he wants to involve himself in every minute of every day of our lives. Question four, then Bob, if he does, does he show up in ways that we expect him to? Oh, rarely does he do that. (laughs) Rarely does he show up in how we would expect him to. But Romans 11 says, oh, the depths of the riches of wisdom. I mean, the depths of how he shows up. 
The depths of the knowledge of God, the depths of His unsearchable judgments, they're past finding out. So the question is this, not, not does He show up kind of in, 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 in ways that we don't expect. The question is, does He show up randomly? You know, randomly, well that was random, God kind of showed up there like it was arbitrary? Or it was like by chance? Or it was like by accident? No, He doesn't show up randomly, He shows up righteously in our lives. This God shows up with intention and premeditation and purpose and design is how he shows up and wants for us daily to see that he has showed up to to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us, a, a, a celebration of his life being lived in and through our lives that should change all that we're living for if we're not living for him and him alone. My daughter goes to a public high school, Torrey Pines there in Del Mar, and, and there's you know, party opportunities every weekend. She came home recently on a weekend and said, Dad, do you think it would be okay if I could go? My friends are all going to this party. And we'll have this conversation pretty often. I'll say, Ann, Jesus loves you. Mom loves you. Dad loves you. And because of that, I don't think we want you going to that party. Oh, it's not fair. All my friends are going. I mean, I really should be allowed to go. It's not fair that I can't go. In fact, and here she drops the big bomb. What if some of my friends who are at the party then come to church with me because I went to the party? <laughs> Putting the pressure on the old man who's a pastor. And, 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 and then I have to come to her and say, Ann, listen, let me ask you. Are there going to be kind of maybe some ungodly things going on at the party? Is there the potential of that? Yes, probably. But I won't do any of that kind of... No, is it going to be there? Oh yeah, it's probably going to be there. Then I don't want you there. Well, why? Don't you trust me? No. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the real reason. The real reason is simply this. The real reason, Annie, is because you were born yesterday. (laughs) You learned how to walk yesterday. That's how fast life is going by. And you know what that means? That means you're getting married tomorrow is what that means. And if I let you go to this party, you're going to meet some guy who doesn't love our Jesus. You're going to end up marrying him and he's going to raise my grandkids. Not to love my Jesus if you go to this party. Then he's going to want to come over to our house for Christmas. And I'm going to have the knife in my hand for tar- carving the, the turkey and it might get kind of ugly at that point. You see, that's why you're not going to the party. That's why you're not going to the party. <laughs> why? Here's why. Because he shows up in unexpected ways, but rarely, gang, if ever is that by random, it is by righteousness. And so question five, and the last one we look at tonight is this. Can you trust him? And that question is also answered because of the season that we celebrate. That let, yes, in, in, indeed tonight, my friends in Albuquerque, you can trust him. It's why he came. So that we would, like Joseph did. Did what? Trusted him. Like Mary did like the shepherds did, like the wise men did, like the disciples did, like Isaiah did, that we too this season and for the rest of the season of our life would trust him and him alone. 
Augustine put it this way, one of Skip's favorite authors. Augustine said, and I quote, He who has God has everything. He who does not have God has nothing. He who has God and everything has no more than he who has God alone. Would you pray with me? Lord, may you be truly for us this season our everything. And we thank you for the power of your word and how we can trust in it tonight, how you have conquered the cross and death and hell for us. Tonight you're wanting to change lives and we pray, Lord, that this Christmas season would have more meaning and fulfillment simply by the fact that we would allow you to be all that you desire to be in our lives. Maybe tonight you're here and you have kind of found yourself trusting in other things and questioning and wondering whether this God would send his son into the world because of his sheer and awesome love for you. Tonight he would simply want you with your head bowed and and your heart open to put your trust in him, to give him control of your life, to be your Lord and Savior, and for the miracle of Christmas, his birth in Bethlehem to happen again as he would come to be born inside of your heart tonight. Maybe you've been coming to church on and off. Maybe it's the season that's brought you out. Tonight, just in the privacy of your heart, just here, this holy moment between your heart and his to surrender to his lordship, to allow his his law that is perfect and his love that is perfect and his lordship that is perfect to become perfectly displayed and lived out in your life. For without that, this season certainly would be a season where we have missed the point. And so, Lord, we pray for those that sit next to us, on our left, on our right, in front of us, behind us, that to each and every person that is here this evening, they would put their trust in you. And even if their heart remains a heart that is torn with questions unanswered that they would trust your word and they would trust in the very fact that if you came and then came again and are promising to come again that that would be reason enough tonight for us to put our trust in you and we do so in Jesus name and everyone said Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org.
If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you, and God bless.